commandments. Well, today uh, we come to the fourth commandment. And we've entitled this series, The Former. And that comes from a verse by Jesus in Matthew 23, verse 23, where Jesus said to the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, talking about tithing here, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And so what Jesus is saying here is that we're to have balance in the Christian life. It's very important, if not most important, to pursue justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But we practice those things while not neglecting the former things, which is living a godly life. And part of living a godly, righteous life is encapsulated in what we call the Ten Commandments. And just before we leave, uh, the third commandment, which Pastor Brian did a phenomenal job last Sunday on the third uh, commandment about thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. But it's a perfect example of what we're talking about here. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Because you see, in, in the church of Christ's followers, the pendulum tends to go back and forth between these two things. And so this is a great stereotype, and I'm generalizing. But when I was younger... There was great emphasis on living a godly life. There was great emphasis on keeping the Ten Commandments, but maybe not the emphasis that there should have been on things like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But now the pendulum has gone in the other direction. And so I will preach this point especially strong at the 11.11 service, where now there is this awakening within the church, and much of it is the younger generation, to pursue justice, mercy, and faithfulness. I mean, we appreciate so much uh, Pastor Tomiko, our pastor of social justice, but 20 or 30 years ago, it'd be unheard of to have a pastor of social justice within a church. And yet now we have that position with our church, and she's leading us in so many wonderful areas in that. And yet, as we pursue those things, we should be careful not to neglect the former as we pursue the latter uh, as we find them here in the Ten Commandments. And so I came across this article with regard to being loose in our language. And that's something that I find in my own self. I find it with the younger generation. And the title of this article, written by Carolyn Ahrens, who herself is a Gen Xer, she writes, The Trouble with Cussing Christians. And I love this one line here. She said, it's cool these days to be a Christian who swears. It gives the cursor and I'm into Jesus, but I'm not legalistic badge. And I really thought that encapsulated the whole thing. Is that, you know, we want to, we, we, we think it's cool to say, you know, I'm not, I'm into Jesus, but I'm not legalistic. And it is. And yet sometimes we're in jeopardy of disobeying Jesus where he says you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. She goes on to write, our words should participate in hallowing rather than profaning the world. I remember when I was in seminary, Gordon Conwell Seminary outside of Boston, and there's this one chapel service at seminary, and there was this totally cool speaker, and, and he was working. He's one of the first social justice speakers I had ever heard, and, and he was working with union workers in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and doing some wonderful work to get people fair wages and a living wage to, to live on and to have a better lives, and, and he was doing just a great job. But in his message, he kept swearing every once in a while in his message. He would say a cuss word. I mean, very similar. Tamiko swears all the time when she's <laughs> speaking. You know, this has been a real problem with Tamiko. We've had to talk to her about it. Just kidding, just kidding. But anyway, he would swear every once in a while. And every time he would swear, somebody in the chapel audience would go, boo. And it was, he stopped for a second, well, whatever, and he'd just go on a little bit farther, and then he'd swear, and somebody'd go, boo. 
And he's like, well, whatever. And the third time it happens, boo. And he goes, who's saying that? And this distinguished looking gentleman stands up and says, I'm doing that. You will not use that language in this sanctuary. He goes, well, who are you? He goes, I'm Harold J. Ockengay, founder and president of this institution. He goes, oh, okay, okay, I, I, I won't do it anymore. By the way, I would prefer that if I say something in my message you don't care for, don't say boo. Just write me an email later on, okay? Or better yet, write Peter Tory an email. That's what actually I would prefer if there's something in there that you don't care for. But, but that's a perfect example. This guy was doing a great job of justice, mercy, and faithfulness, but he was practicing the latter but he was neglecting the former. And so that's what we're talking about, balance within our Christian lives and as a church. And so now we come to the fourth of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Would we all read this out loud together? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Let me read the extended passage in verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now let's start with a couple of questions. First of all, is the Sabbath law for today? And I would say based on what the Bible teaches, no the Sabbath law is not for today. Not like it was in the Old Testament. It has been fulfilled in Christ. And so, no, the Sabbath law does not apply to today. I remember when I was pastoring back in New York, a little country town called Homer, New York, right next to another town called Cortland, New York. And in the Cortland-Homer area, there was this doctor, Dr. Gibbs, who was just a marvelous doctor. He was in his 80s by the time I came to pastor in that town. And everybody loved Dr. Gibbs. He was like the classic hometown doctor. Like half the kids, children probably in Cortland County had, had been delivered by Dr. Gibbs and everybody knew Dr. Gibbs and he'd either uh, been a ministry to them and their family or to their extended family as the general practitioner, the doctor, the hometown doctor in that area. So he had tremendous platform. He had tremendous goodwill built up and he was a follower of Christ, but of a particular group of followers of Christ as you're gonna see in a moment. And so I remember a letter to the editor that he wrote where he said, you know, I'm probably gonna die in a few years here. And if there's one thing I could say to the Cortland-Homer, Cortland County area, if there's one thing I could say to you before I died, and it caught my breath thinking, this man has tremendous reservoir of goodwill built up. He's got a tremendous platform that he has built up. Uh, people are gonna listen to him. And he said, if there's one thing I could say, it would be this, worship God on Saturday instead of Sunday. And I was like, come on, are, are you kidding me? You've got this great opportunity and you squander it on a minor issue rather than on a major issue. And even if he, we get to heaven and we find out he was right, it, it's not that big of a deal as scripture is gonna share with us in just a moment. And most Christians today now uh, in the early church began to worship on Sunday. Uh, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week rather than the seventh day of the week because that was the day of the resurrection. That's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. But whether it's Saturday or Sunday, it's still not a law for today because of passages like these. Romans 14, verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Colossians 2. 
Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Does anybody want to say amen to that? And so those things are a shadow. And so even if our precious, beloved Dr. Gibbs, we get to heaven and find out he was right, it doesn't matter because these things are a shadow of the things that were to come. Uh, When you get one chance to share one thing before you die to your oikos, to your friends, to your family, to your community, make it be Christ and Christ alone. Now, however, having said that, I believe that we have, in saying that the Scripture teaches that the Sabbath law is not today, we have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Because today, Sunday, looks like any other day of the week. We've lost a concept of biblical Sabbath. We have lost that idea today in the body of Christ. And so in answer to the second question, is the Sabbath principle for today? I would say a resounding yes. Now, it doesn't have to be on a Sunday. Some of you are involved in the medical field or in food preparation or in law enforcement. And so you need to pick some other day of the week. But whether it's Sunday or some other day, it is a total biblical principle to pick one day out of seven to make that special as unto the Lord. to to apply the principle of Sabbath to that particular day. Mark chapter 2, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This is a gift from God to us. God wants to bless you with the Sabbath. This is not something that owns us legalistically. We don't belong to the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for us. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. God made the Sabbath just for you And you miss out on a huge blessing in your life if we avoid the Sabbath principle. Now the next page of your study outline. What is God's maintenance, Sabbath maintenance uh, schedule? And you know, it's a funny thing. You would think that a message like this, the furthest thing would be from an evangelistic message. But I believe that Christians properly modeling the Sabbath principle will draw people to Christ because there is a hunger in our culture and society to get off the treadmill and the Sabbath is the answer to that hunger. I remember a story of a guy driving behind a big truck, and every time they came to a stoplight, the driver of the truck would get out with a baseball bat and bang the side of the truck, and then jump back in and turn green and go to the next block, turn red, jump out of the truck, bang it on the side with a baseball bat. This kept going on and on, so he followed him because he was so curious about this thing. Finally, he got a chance to talk to the guy. He says, what are you doing that for? He goes, well, he says, this is a two-ton capacity truck, and I've got three tons of canaries in the back, and I've got to keep one ton of them in the air at any given time, or the truck will break down. And maybe you can identify with that. You feel like you've got to keep a third of your life up in the air at any given time because if all the canaries came to roost at the same time, you would just break down under the load. And so what is God's maintenance schedule? My brother-in-law, Rob, uh, Kimberly's brother, uh, was a truck driver for many years. 
And I was always amazed at how he'd tell me these truck engines sometimes could go 250,000 miles, sometimes 500,000 miles. He'd even had truck engines that had gone a million miles. I said, what is the key to making that happen? He said, preventative maintenance. It's all about preventative maintenance. And God's Sabbath principle is his plan of preventative maintenance for us within our spiritual, emotional, and physical lives. Now, the first part of that, as you see, number one, is rest. And I want to put a book title up here uh, called 24-6, A Prescription for a Happier, Healthier Life by Dr. Matthew Sleaf. And I want to keep it up there for a moment so that you get a chance to maybe write that down because this is a tremendous book by a medical doctor about the Sabbath principle. You notice instead of 24-7, it's 24-6. And so he's talking about applying that principle within our lives. I know in, in my life, you push yourself and if you neglect this Sabbath principle, I begin to make bad decisions and I've got to run back and recoup and fix those bad decisions. Or if I neglect the Sabbath principle, sometimes I'll be irritable with people and I've got to run back and it's very time inefficient because I've got to restore the relationship with that person. Um, research has shown that violating the, uh, the Sabbath principle leads to inefficiency, fatigue, discouragement, even health disorders. I remember when I ran the mile, there were four laps to a mile, and they, you would set out a pace that you'd try to do. If you wanted to do like a 412 mile, you would try to do, you know, average 463 second laps in order to get a 412 mile. And so what you w would do, you'd discover this uh, rule of thumb for milers is that for every second you ran too fast in the first half of the mile, you would lose two seconds in the second half of the mile. Every second you ran ahead of your pace, you would pay for it with two seconds slower in the second half of your race. Now, the Bible is so practical on this. I love this first passage. Again, you can write it down. I didn't put it in your study notes. It's Exodus 34, verse 21. And I love how practical God is. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Just 14 chapters after the fourth commandment, he repeats it. Six days you shall labor but on the seventh day you shall rest. And then he puts this P.S. on the back of it. Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. Isn't that great? What was the busiest time in an agrarian society for a farmer in 1500 B.C.? It would be the plowing season and the harvest season. Now, what is that in your profession? It's different for every profession. But when is the busiest? For a school teacher, it's the end of the semester. For a student, it's the end of the semester. Um, what is it for your profession? I remember Vita Koppenrath, who's our uh, CPA. She audits our books. She keeps us on the straight and narrow here at church. And during tax season is her plowing and harvest season all combined in April 15th deadline. And so whenever she would show up to church here, and her husband Pete is in the band, and so she'd show up at 7 on Sunday morning, every time she'd walk in, I'd, uh, leading up to tax season, I would say, Vita, you are my Exodus uh, 34 verse 21 woman. You are my heroine, my hero in this area because she would be here faithfully even when there were 48 hours or whatever until that April 15th deadline because the Bible says it is during those busy times of our life that we especially need the Sabbath principle. Now here's a fascinating passage um, and, and uh, write this one down. Leviticus 26 verses 34 and 35. Because see, what Moses told the people was to let the land lie fallow one year out of seven. 
And it's a remarkable teaching for 1500 BC, way before uh, modern day crop rotation, which we know typically today, you've got to rest the field, you've got to take different nutrients at different times. So it's a fascinating agricultural principle given to Moses 3,500 years ago. But they said, one year out of seven, you are let, let the land have a Sabbath. And there was a social justice component to that where it helped to feed the poor as well. So there was a, a meeting the needs of people inherent in that Sabbath principle as well. But there was a warning that if they did not do this, God would allow them to be conquered by their enemies, taken into captivity, and then the land would have its Sabbath one year out of seven. Look at verse 34. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that it lies desolate, and you are in the country of your enemies. Then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. All the time that it lies desolate, the land will have the rest it did not have during the Sabbaths you lived in it. And so it's fascinating that the Israelites neglected the Sabbath principle for 490 years. And so then in 586 BC, they were taken into exile by the Babylonians. And so uh, they were in captivity for 70 years, which were the 70 Sabbath years of the 490 total years that they neglected the Sabbath principle. And so it's just an unbelievable prophecy in God's word that was fulfilled in exact detail later on. They neglected it for 490 years, which was 70 Sabbath years. So they went into Babylonian captivity and what is today the nation of Iraq for 70 years. Now I find that's true in my life. When I cheat on the Sabbath principle, and I cheat all the time, I am so nervous about Kimberly sitting on the front row at the 11:11 service because she's going to stand up right halfway through the message and go, Boo, or, uh, you know, uh, he's a liar. Don't listen to him. He does not do that which he speaketh, you know, or something along those lines, you know. Going to be like John Wesley's wife that used to drive ride on horseback around the crowd while he's preaching, going, he's a liar. Don't listen to him, you know. And so, at any rate, uh, I struggle with this. There's so much that needs to be done that I cheat on the Sabbath principle uh, all the time, but I find every time I cheat on it, God gets his Sabbaths out of me just like he did with the land of Israel in the form of getting sick, you know, cold or or something like that. And I end up taking that rest uh, involuntarily uh, after I did not give of it voluntarily. You say, how am I going to get everything done? It's just amazing how six days with God's blessing, you'll get more done than seven days without his blessing. You know, anybody that's put this into practice want to say amen on that? I mean, it's just uncanny. Kimberly, when she first came to Christ um, as a sophomore at Boston University, uh, she comes to Christ. And so she was a young Christian, and she thought you were actually just supposed to do whatever you read in the manual, the owner's manual, you know? Uh, she said, oh, you're supposed to do it. So she did it. So she stopped studying for one day on Sunday. She wouldn't do any study on Sunday. And boy, to a student to give up one day out of seven to not study. That is like humongous. You know, you got to study like all the time. And she gave up that one day. And she found that she did better in her schoolwork with six days with God's blessing than she did before with seven days without his blessing. It's the same thing with the tithing principle, that 90% with God's blessing on it goes farther than 100% without God's blessing on it. And so the first part of it is rest. The second part is a time set aside to worship God and, and to uh, study his word. Somebody sent me this, uh, Dave East, from this service, actually, the 945 service, sent me this this past week. A churchgoer wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper and complained that it made no sense to go to church every Sunday. I've gone for 30 years now, he wrote, 
And in that time, I've heard something like 3,000 sermons. But for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them. So I think I'm wasting my time and the pastors are wasting their times by giving sermons at all. This started a real controversy in the letters to the editor column, much to the delight of the editor. It went on for weeks until someone wrote this clincher. I've been married for 30 years now, and that time my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals, but for the life of me, I cannot recall the entire menu for a single one of those meals. But I do know this, they all nourished me and gave me the strength I needed to do my work. If my wife had not given me these meals, I would be physically dead today. Likewise, if I had not gone to church for nourishment, I would be spiritually dead today as well. And so we need that regular input of being with God's people, of fellowship, of camaraderie, of feeling like we're together, of of focus on God through worship and and the study of his word. Fascinating um, issue last week in Time Magazine. The whole feature article is one of those summer double issues of Time in which it did all this research on the subject of happiness. And there were just like dozens, if not a hundred, different factoids on, on happiness. And I, and I found it to be so interesting, several of the ones that they just included in here. They said about 40% of people in America worship at least weekly. And so that number probably goes up if you talk about every other week or, or once a month. But about 40% of Americans worship at least weekly. Nearly half of regular worshipers say they are very happy compared to just 26% of those who seldom or never attend religious services. And I think part of that is the Sabbath principle. There is a blessing that comes from making the worship of God, fellowship with God's people, the study of his word, a regular part of our week. Isaiah 58 God says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it not by going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord and I will cause you to rise in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In the New Testament, same struggle. Hebrews 10, 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Isn't that fascinating? You think of the early churches just got it all together and they never had trouble and struggle in any area of the Christian life. Some of them were were getting out of the habit of getting together with fellow believers, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, here's the key. And this is maybe the major take-home from what we're going to talk about here this morning. The key to regular worship and fellowship in God's house is making it a habit, not a week-by-week decision. The key, biblically, is making it a habit, not a I'll decide week-by-week if I'm going to do it or not. Because you know what happens when you make it a weekly decision? You open yourself up to all kinds of spiritual warfare. I mean, all hell will be unleashed to keep you out of God's house to study his word and to be with God's people and, and to worship him. I mean, the phone's gonna ring just as you're walking out the door. People are gonna drop by to visit. The baby's gonna spit up all over its nice, clean outfit as you're walking out the door. There's gonna be a fight. Um, there's gonna be, I, I, I don't know. But, but has anybody found this to, to be true? I mean, yeah. I mean, why is it Sunday morning? It's so much harder than any other time. And I think you open yourself up to even more of that. It makes it even harder if it's kind of a week-by-week 
decision rather than a foregone conclusion, barring something incredibly uh, major. And I, and I want to challenge you. Give it a try. Make it just a habit that you don't even think about. It's just automatic for, for the rest of the Sundays in 2013. And just see if it doesn't get easier. Now, I want to be so careful on this because I'm going to step on some toes right here. But I'm doing it out of love. I'm doing it because I care for you. This is not some pastoral manipulative thing to boost church attendance. This is out of the shepherd having love for the people of his congregation. And one of the benefits of being a pastor for over 30 years is you can begin to see cause and effect, not just day to day or week to week, but year to year and decade to decade. Being a pastor for over 30 years, you can see that these decisions made here have resulted in these consequences uh, down here. And, and I've seen it in this particular area. Now look, you parents are under tremendous pressure as Southern California parents. There is a Southern California societal cultural pressure uh, on you and, and even a Christian Southern California societal pressure. And right now, you as families are making decisions about what you're going to be committed to in the fall. And there is tremendous pressure to be involved in, in sports or drama or music or a variety of different very wholesome and good things on Sundays. And when you give into that pressure, you end up your kids are here every other week or, or once a month and there's all these travel schedules and this and that. And let me just tell you what ends up happening with the kids of our church families, okay? 1% of them get scholarships because of those issues and 50% of them walk away from God in their young adult years. And I'm just telling you, I, I believe you can trust God. He's going to get your kid that scholarship, even if they don't do the Sunday travel squad or the Sunday activity or the Sunday whatever. God's going to make that up to you. He's going to bless you. And even if he doesn't, what do you think is more important to God for eternity? That your kid is connecting with other kids here on Sunday morning and on Wednesday nights, Wednesday nights as well. It seems like everything there is wants to practice on Wednesday night and travel on Sunday morning, you know? And it's this force against us that Christian parents are swimming against. But let me tell you, when you trust God in this area, you will reap a benefit later on. And I can tell you that from personal experience and as a pastor watching families over the last of 30 plus years. Let me give you a challenge. And that is to be in church. Every one of, there's 24 Sundays left in 2013. Let me give you a challenge to be in church with your family. Every one of those 24. Uh, even on vacation. Boy, last couple of weeks. Uh, a couple of Sundays ago I was preaching on, on uh, Sunday night at the hangar. Their service is at 5 o'clock on Sunday evenings uh, there in Montana. And so I just went to this little country church in Marion, Montana. About 30 or 40 or 50 people in the congregation. What a wonderful experience to connect with a different slice of the body of Christ. Last Sunday, we're in Oregon, and I said to my daughter, Rebecca, hey, Rebecca, let's walk to church together. So we walked two miles to this little country church with about 40 people in the congregation, and what a wonderful thing. And it wasn't just that church was that wonderful, but what did that model to my daughter? That, that dad, well, first of all, it modeled that dad doesn't just go to church when it's his job and he gets fired if he doesn't. You know, kind of like the young guy, and he's in bed, and his mother comes in to get him out of bed, and, and he says, I don't want to go to church today. And she goes, well, give me two good reasons. She goes, number one, I don't like them, and they don't like me. And he says, you give me two reasons why I should go. And she goes, number one, you're 50 years old. And number two, you're the pastor of the church. That's why you need to go. And so 
uh, you know, I want to model to my kids that it's, that it's important. You know, it's not just a job, it's Jesus. It's not the job, it's Jesus. And, and that's what we model to our kids. Here's the problem. When we model that certain things in life are habits and certain are weekly decisions, we tell them more things are caught than taught. We model for them what's important, what's relatively unimportant, okay? So when sports league practice, automatic, you don't miss that. You don't miss your team practice unless, you know, something major happens. You don't miss that thing. Well, that's, that's a certain priority. Church, you can take it or leave it. That's down here. Uh, you say, oh, you know, school, going to school. You never miss school unless you're majorly sick. You never miss work. But, you know, church, that's kind of an optional kind of thing. Take it or leave it. What do we model to our kids? We show them by our actions and priorities what relatively is the most important and what, relatively speaking, is not as important. Third thing is service. You know, another thing for that Time Magazine article that was so fascinating. It said, more than 60 million Americans volunteer each year, and research shows that the most likely people to volunteer in their communities are followers of Christ. There's a direct correlation between how regularly a person goes to church and whether they volunteer to serve other people. Acts of kindness flick the happy switches in our brains. Studies have shown that people who volunteer are more satisfied with their lives and are less likely to be depressed. A happier people, in turn, are likelier to help others. Just over a quarter of Americans volunteered in 2012, a slight decline from 2011. Now here, you're in a context where with the Pharisees, if you cut your arm, you could bandage it to stop the bleeding, but as soon as healing took place, you had to tear the bandage off because healing was work on the Sabbath. And into that context, here comes Jesus. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? I'm disciplining myself right now not to go off on that American cultural phenomenon. And we'll talk about that next Sunday. I'm going to discipline myself to wait till next Sunday on that one. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the, is it, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. The Sabbath Sunday is an ideal day to teach Sunday school or volunteer in the nursery, or call someone going through a hard time, or that you've missed at church, or to cultivate a relationship, or to help a neighbor. It's a great day for that. My dad was president of um, Payne and Gunderson Lumber Company, founder and president of that company. He had a very stressful job, and he loved his Sundays, baby. Sunday was his, his one day of rest, and I loved it as well because he couldn't get his hands on me on Sunday. I mean, I tell you, every other day of the week, if you weren't in school, you were on the tractor, or you were logging, or you were trimming trees, and I was his indentured servant, but I knew that he couldn't touch me on Sunday because God told him he couldn't touch me on Sunday. And so I loved it as well. And so Sunday afternoon naps were sacred at our household. I mean, it was right up there with communion and baptism. It was the third uh, sacrament of the church, I'm telling you, the Sunday afternoon nap. But one Sunday out of the month, he'd push back from the table. Instead of going to Sunday afternoon nap, he'd go down to the local jail. 
And he'd just spend the afternoon talking to the prisoners and sharing God's word with them and praying with them and listening to what was going on in their lives because the Sabbath is a great day to serve. China and Pomona, what a great opportunity. You see that there on page six in, in, your, in your program. What a great opportunity to serve. You can literally change the world from your home by hosting a couple of Chinese students. And we, and we still need, we still need um, houses to, to house the, the students. You know, some of the students that were killed in the plane crash in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago were students that were coming here to study, just like the ones that come. But in our program, we share Christ with them as well. And then number four is a restored vision. See, the problem is we're all sprinting so fast that we're going to get to the end of our lives. And what if we lived our lives differently than we should have? with regard to eternity. And the beauty of the Sabbath is it's one day out of seven to call time out like a team having a huddle or a team having a halftime where they get together and say, okay, how's the game going? Do we need to make any mid-game adjustments to make sure we end up where we want to end up? And my biggest fear in life is that we will, that I will sprint through life so fast and get to the end of it, and lo and behold, I wasn't smart I didn't have my vision straight as to how I should live it. Let's stand up to close in prayer. Remember, one of the most godly things you can do is run to the commons and have an In-N-Out hamburger right now. That's, that's number five on the list, okay? Number five on the list, In-N-Out hamburger after church. It's, it's just part of God's word somewhere, I'm sure. Okay. Lord, help us to rediscover the concept of biblical Sabbath, which you have given to us, not to us be enslaved by the Sabbath. It wasn't, the Sabbath wasn't, we weren't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for men and women and boys and girls to bless us and to get us off the, 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 the rat maze and the, and the wheel where the rat's spinning the wheel and to call time out for rest, service, worship, restored vision as to your plan for our life. And we pray it in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.